Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, November 10th, we're studying Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 to 15. As Joshua's death draws near, he gathers all Israel to Shechem to remind them of all the Lord has done for them and to charge them to serve the Lord alone. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Good to be with you. It's good to have you here, Pastor Beck. As we get started, let's talk context. What should we know as we prepare to look at the first part of Joshua 24? Pastor Apple, how do you feel about baseball? I like baseball. I like baseball. Baseball's good. So uh, one of the things uh, I remember from when I was uh, a baseball player back in the day um, is that one uh, that when you're teaching somebody how to pitch or when you're teaching somebody how to hit, things like that, there are a lot of different steps, right? So there's the wind-up Right. And then there's a pause and then there's the follow, you know, the, the actual throw, the actual action itself. And then there's the follow through. And it's the same way with hitting. Um, I think that we can look at Joshua in terms of uh, the, sort of the the wind up, the, the prep for the action, uh, the action itself, and then the follow through. We're in the follow through right now. Um, it's 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 no secret. We're in the last chapter of the book. Uh, and so it's it's sort of all done. But now is the the after part. Now is um, after the action of the conquest that is going to take place in uh, the book of Joshua, and then the allotment of the land um, as it's delivered. Um, this is the delivery of the promise that was uh, given through Moses. I mean, that's the entire thrust of the Torah is to bring us uh, from creation uh, all the way to this place where um, now they're inheriting, now they're getting what God has promised to them. And so now it's uh, sort of time for uh, Joshua to, you know, his work is finished. He's going to recede, uh, you know, into the into the pages of Scripture and into history. Um, and it's time for them to take hold, take possession of, of what God has given to them. Um, so that's where our text uh, is today, is uh, kind of in this last section. Um, it's been a wild ride. Uh, when Israel is faithful, we've seen... Um, We've seen some wonderful things uh, that God has done. Um, when they prove faithless, uh, we see, you know, things not not quite as not quite as good, right? Um, and so that's going to be a theme that will continue, obviously, throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture. Um, but I think that's uh, that pretty much does it as far as getting us to where we are right now. We're going to hear um, Joshua's, or at least a portion, I should say, of Joshua's uh, farewell uh, speech um, and the. The covenant renewal. Right. So we, we heard, heard some of Joshua's farewell in the previous chapter. He spoke primarily to the leaders there, and he's got more to say here. We've been reading mostly the words of Joshua. Tomorrow's text will deal with the response of the people of Israel and a little bit of back and forth between them. As, as Joshua does some recounting of history today, what, what other parts of Scripture does this remind you of? What are we, we going to hear from Joshua in, in summary? 
Yeah, so, I mean, this is... This is a, a really neat text because uh, you have Joshua and he, he essentially, you know, he says, you know, thus says Yahweh, um, and uh, he is going to uh, get us into almost sort of a recap. He's going to um, stop the people and he's going to take them all the way back to Abraham and he's going to uh, recount to them uh, the way that God has dealt with, uh, with Israel. Uh, and this is, uh, we were talking just before we came on the air, and I said, you know, this kind of reminds me of um, Acts chapter 7 when Stephen uh, gives his, uh, this, this beautifully delivered sermon that uh, he reminds the people who are about to stone him to death, I should add, um, he reminds them of who they are. He takes it all the way back to God uh, calling Abraham, God uh, bringing through, you know, uh, Joseph to save the people and then their slavery in Egypt and everything else. Um, I mean, there are several times in Scripture that this happens. Uh, It happens in uh, the great by faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, where you have um, the history of the Bible sort of told through the lens of describing it as, you know, these are the people who are commended by God and they were commended on account of the fact that they trusted God. They have this, this gift of faith. Um, even in the Psalms, uh, you have, um, the Psalms that recount sort of the history of God's people, um, remembering at all times that, that God's steadfast love endures forever. So I think that it's, it's a useful thing for us to, uh, at times, to slow down and to be reminded of the entire narrative, uh, because sometimes we can get kind of, uh, kind of myopic, kind of just like caught up in the, you know, okay, well, which chapter of which, you know, uh, I don't want to say small story, but you know, Joshua is kind of, I mean, it's kind of a tucked away book in a lot of, you know, a lot of, I mean, I, I was listening, I'm trying to get caught up with us, uh, here and I was listening a couple of weeks ago to, uh, uh, um, uh, I think I was listening to the, it was the one about the Gibeonite deception. Joshua 9. Joshua 9, yeah. yes. Yeah, of course, I know that. Yeah, I know you do. I'm listening to it. Of course. Yeah, I was listening to it in the car on the way over. Anyways, uh, yeah, and it, the comment was made, you know, this is probably not one that we've ever preached on from the pulpit. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't really talk about the Gibeonite deception, you know? Uh, but that's that's okay. This is, uh, is this um, flyover territory? Some of it, some yeah. of it. Although Joshua 24 I think does show up in the lectionary and Joshua 24 shows up in the lectionary and it also uh, shows up adorned in many folks's walls. That's right. Yeah. You know, you, you have a, um, uh, I don't know. Do you have this at your house? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. As for me and my house, we shall serve serve the the Lord. Lord. Yeah, that's right. You don't have the the first part of that, right? No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Usually we just have that last part. That's right. That's probably for the better. That's okay. But uh, it's a it's a good text again because it does slow us down. Um, it does uh, uh, bring uh, and it, it, we'll talk about this one obviously when we get into the text. Uh, but it gives us uh, the important, just like Hebrews eleven uh, brings out the by faith uh, nature of uh, the history of salvation. Uh, this is going to bring out a, um, a detail that I think is really incumbent upon us to remember. Um, what exactly is important about this history? Um, we're going to have a wrinkle here that will, uh, will I, I would imagine, will dominate a lot of our our discussion today. So I I, I like the way that you you put Joshua that flyover country maybe is a little bit <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a little bit harsh, but Joshua is a very a niche book perhaps. You yeah. know, what I mean, it it deals with war. And a land and the land allotment, yeah, and it's that's the military history of of Israel and the promised land. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's it. I mean, in terms of the 
the time period, you know, Joshua starts about 1406 BC when Moses dies. And then by the end of the book, you know, the 1370s BC, perhaps somewhere like that, that's not a huge time period compared to the great span of time that we saw in the books of Moses. So it is easy to forget where it falls in salvation history. And so to hear Joshua put it in its context, I think is very helpful. And I'm, I'm glad you brought out the connection to Act 7 and the way Stephen rehearses the history of the people sure. of God. Because in my mind, I'm thinking about the comparison to Moses. Because, you know, that's where we've just been. That's where we've been, Deuteronomy. Yeah. And you see a lot of similarities between Moses and Joshua at the end of their life. Yeah. But what is striking about the way Joshua starts his account is that he does take it all the way back to Abraham. And it's not that Moses forgot about Abraham. There are plenty of references to the promises made to Abraham throughout the book of Deuteronomy. But much of what Moses talks about in Deuteronomy deals with the more recent events, you know, the exodus from Egypt and the last 40 years of wandering. Joshua takes it all the way back to Abraham, which I think is is significant in the grand scope of things to keep to keep that covenant with Abraham, which is unconditional, that God's going to promise make the, the blessing come through Abraham. I think that's a pretty important point as we look at Joshua 24. Yeah. And um, so when he brings it, uh, obviously, you know, through Abraham, uh, this is, uh, this is a thing, you know, I was, I was reading through, you know, the last uh, chapter here of Joshua in preparation for today. And um, it was kind of, there's a, there's a disconnect between the way that Deuteronomy ended where you have a clear passing of the torch. And then at Joshua, you know, when Joshua ends, there's almost sort of a a pause. Yeah. There's almost sort of a like, what's going to happen next? That's right, yeah. And then, of course, we get into the book of Judges, which, Lord have mercy. I mean, the book of Judges is just, um, it is Israel. I don't know if this is a polite way of putting it, but it is Israel, you know, circling around the drain. Hmm. I, I, just, I like to call it the dark ages. Yeah, the dark ages. But, I mean, you know, it, it starts off and it's not, terrible i mean you've got um uh, the first couple of judges are more or less faithful but then it just gets so bad and so i mean i i i, I always struggle um othniel is towards the beginning yeah. correct but then you've got um is ah, the guy that's towards the end that well you've that, got samson is the last one well but the, then you the, uh, the majors yeah right but then you've got the guy that makes the vow about you know that's whatever jephthah he Jephtha. comes right yeah. before samson yeah, yeah 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 but i mean you've got these guys that they they don't even know what their god is like and they're supposed to be the the leaders of israel so like i said we're getting into judge, uh, judges right, right now yeah. but um joshua is different from Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy has this plan of succession to Joshua. And so the whole idea of Joshua is that now you've got the, the, the goods have been delivered at least in part, right? The goods have been delivered. And so now it's time for you to enjoy these things, to live in them, to remain faithful. And we find that Israel's just, that's not, that's not what they are interested in. That's right. That's right. You and you and I have talked about this before that when we read texts like this, you just kind of have to keep reading the rest of the Old Testament. You know, yeah. these, these things beg to keep reading. You got to know the rest of the story. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so Judges is a good read after the book of Joshua, for sure. For but sure. Not It's not an uplifting read. No, no. Yeah. You always no. got to keep Christ in the in, yeah. in the corner of your eye. You got to keep him, you know, off in the distance. He's, he's coming. 
right? Yeah, and that's that's, right. that's where it's always got to go. That's right. And Joshua, I think, is going to take us there too, which is, yeah. again, why I find your connection to Acts 7 intriguing, because Stephen's purpose there in Acts 7 is to proclaim Christ to those who are there yeah. as he goes through salvation history. And so I think we can do a similar thing and see a similar thing here in Joshua 24. As Joshua takes us through salvation history, he is finally pointing us to Christ as well. You want to read the whole thing at once, or you want to pause somewhere? What do you think? Uh, let's read. Let's just go to for, uh, verse 13. Okay. We'll save the last take two the, verses for the, the end. Take the big chunk. All right. Yes, Joshua 24, beginning at verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, King of Moab arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites." It was not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. That's through verse 13 of the text. We'll pause there and get the last two verses later. Sounds good. All right, Pastor Beck. So the setting, we're at Shechem. Joshua's got everybody in front of him. They're presenting themselves before God before Joshua begins to speak. Any any comments on the setting? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and assume that all of your listeners uh, know the significance of Shechem, right? So we can just move right past that. Maybe maybe we shouldn't make that assumption. That's you okay. could enlighten me. Okay, I, yeah. So so uh, Shechem is uh, this place um, in Genesis 12, right? Genesis 12 is kind of a big deal in the grand narrative of of the Bible. Genesis 12, of course, is when God calls Abram and invites him to get up and leave his father's house and his father's gods, we find out elsewhere. Um, And Abram uh, goes, uh, just as God says, in uh, chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 6, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and then Yahweh appeared and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And what do you think he did after that? He probably worshipped. Yeah. Abram built there an altar to Yahweh who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country, etc. Um, but this is this is the place where God made the promise first. He's standing in the promised land and God said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And then he made an altar. 
so we almost see sort of the um we see the uh, the bookend, right? On one side, you've got Abram standing in this place. On the other, you've got Joshua, and he's gathering all of the leadership of the nation of Israel. And uh, there they are again at Shechem. They present themselves. They build an altar to worship. Uh, this is the place uh, that the promise was given, and now the promise is delivered. Hmm. And when it says they presented themselves before God, uh, basically this is you know this is worship. This is them coming together um, for him to have this uh, this chance, this opportunity to say, "Look what God has done." And so he's going to take it all the way back to Abraham. That's that's where we're going to begin here. Joshua says to all the people, "Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel." And then he's going to be speaking. You can see there in your English Bibles, if you're uh, not driving and have your Bible open in front of you, dear listeners, um, pull over to the side of the road. No, uh, <laughs> if, you have, if you're listening later uh, or if you're at home and you've got your Bible in front of you, you see there in the English Bible, it has, you know, a, um, a quotation within the quote. Uh, there long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Um, and so we hear about the family lineage of Abram. Uh, but then in verse 3, um, well, um, before we get to verse 3, in verse 2 it says here, of Terah, the father of Abraham, and then of Nahor, right? They served other gods. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I, I read, uh, I think it was a footnote in the Lutheran Study Bible that says that, uh, you know, there were some folks uh, in antiquity, you know, in the church fathers that said that uh, Abraham was preserved from this idolatry uh, but I don't think that that's a faithful reading of the text. Um, Abram, for all intents and purposes, he worshiped the gods of his fathers, uh, just like everybody did, you know, in the ancient world. Um, and so there, the idea of, you know, Abram was, he was more pure than everybody else. And that's why God reached out to him and said, hey, you want to come with me? Um, I don't think that's something that we should read into the text at all. Uh, but instead, uh, what we're going to see from verses 3 all the way to verse 13 um, is we are going to see that the subject of the verb, right, you know, Pastor Apple, we do grammar that's sometimes. That's right. Got to know grammar. Uh, the subject of the verb is going to be that first person singular pronoun, I. This is God speaking here, and you notice that all of the actions that are taking place, everything that's being done here, or I should say, everything that's being done for the good, <laughs> is God himself doing it. So verse 3, I took your father Abraham. Let's let's talk yeah, about sure. that. Let's jump let's, into it. Sure. Let's talk about that, particularly with the matter of Abraham being an idolater, being among the ones who was yeah. serving other gods. That So Abraham was an idolater, and that's when God called him. Uh-huh. I mean, just to, to jump to where my mind goes for that is to Romans chapter 5, where Paul says, while we were still sinners, absolutely, Christ died for us. Yeah. So it wasn't something inherent in Abraham right. that God called him. It was, in fact, while Abraham was very idolater, that's when God called. Yeah, him. and I, I think this is going to be this is going to be a bulk of, of, of the topic that we're going to be discussing today um, is the fact that you know it's not that Abram before he was Abraham was in some sort of a neutral place, you know, um, and even when we get to choose this day whom you will serve, it's not like Israel is in some sort of a neutral place. 
right? Apart from God calling us to be his people, apart from God, um, you know, as we in the Lutheran church are, are fond of talking about, gifting us with the gift of faith. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gift, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. So God gets all of the credit for that. Um, we ourselves, um, you know, Abraham, uh, every Israel, all people are, we're not born in a neutral place. Um, instead, we are born in a place where we are at enmity towards God. Yeah. That's that's what sin does for us. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. And apart from the calling of God's gospel toward us, um, we stay there. Yeah, the baptismal liturgy yes. comes to my mind. The Word of God also teaches that we are all conceived and are born sinful and are under the power of the devil until Christ claims us as his own. Absolutely. And that's that's Abraham. We would yeah. be lost forever unless delivered from sin, death, and everlasting condemnation. So apart from God's call, Abraham would have remained in his idolatry. Exactly. But because of God's call, he was brought out of that idolatry. Yeah, it's not like Abraham you know, was looking for a way out. It's not like Abraham was looking for... You know, oh, you know, if if only there was, you know, the only thing I've ever known is idolatry. If only there was something else that I could know. Um, because, you know, each one of us, we are completely content doing things the way that the world would have us to do things, living the way that the world wants us to. And, you know, in uh, the darkness of our own sin and, and um, the darkness of our own um, lack of understanding, right? Um, and so the gospel sheds light on that it gives understanding it gives knowledge um so that we can see who god is um, and that we of ourselves were we were trying to be our own gods apart from the love of jesus christ um so yeah that's i thank you for uh for interjecting there and for jumping in because uh we don't want to move too quickly through this although we get a lot of ground to cover which is a tremendous blessing but um, so go go into verse three then. So I took three, your father. Abraham. I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I led him through the land of Canaan, made his offspring many. God did all of those things. He's the subject of the verb. I gave him Isaac. Right? Remember Abraham? I mean, uh, it's it's easy for us to forget because it's it's something that's. I mean, Abraham has Isaac. You know, with Sarah. It's such a Sunday school story that we all just, you know, that's that's common knowledge for us. But we forget that, you know, um, among the oldest of our church members, that whom we serve as pastors, imagine them as first-time parents. Yeah. You know, um, I still have a, a grandmother who's living. Imagine her at this point as a first-time parent. Yeah. You know, uh, and just that thought, it you know, it almost just you know, it makes me chuckle. It makes me you know, just it. it it's a strange thing to even imagine somebody who has lived an entire lifetime barren uh, and then receives this, this joy uh, of a promise fulfilled. God says, I gave him Isaac, lest we think that Abraham and, and, and Sarah, you know, were, were blessed with some sort of a, you know, late stage in life, you know, geriatric pregnancy type deal. Right. It's actually a technical term they use for folks that become pregnant in their thirties. Yeah, which is that's not doesn't very, seem that's very not old. geriatric. Yeah. That makes me feel old. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyways, um, we digress. Mostly, I digressed. Um, so, <clears throat> verse four and five. Uh, yeah, we're going to keep tracing through the uh, through the history, through the narrative. Uh, but notice that even when we're getting into 
you know, um, here we go with Jacob and Esau to Isaac. God gave Jacob and Esau. And God says, I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. Jacob and his children, they went down to Egypt. We all remember that part of the story. Um, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt uh, with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought, and then here it changes. It's no longer the past. I brought you out. Now, you got to think that, I mean, end of Joshua, you've, you've got a generation, you know, you've got that has sort of passed throughout the conquest, uh, but then... You know, the folks that came in to do the conquest, they were, uh, by and large, born in the wilderness wanderings uh, during those 40 years. But, I mean, these are folks who, you know, your parents were there. You're, you know, you heard these stories. They're the ones that saw this, and they could tell you, God brought us out, right? Yeah. Um, so, it's, I just, I love the... Um, uh, the way that this is is working out, just rhetorically speaking, yeah. uh, where God is is God's the one telling the story here. He's telling them their story, um, and each time that he tells it, um, he's making sure that he knows. Uh, and then you did this, and then you know, and then Isaac had Jacob and Esau. No, then I gave yeah. Isaac, Jacob, yeah. and Esau, and that's that's really at the heart of this text. That's the wrinkle that we've got to pay close attention to, uh, is the fact that all of this is the Lord's doing. Right. When we try to take credit for these things or when we, you know, think that uh, like that that old uh, that email that, you know, that w- that used to circulate about the, the, the footsteps in the on the beach or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Do you remember that one? That was a wall hanging, too. Was it a wall hanging? Yeah. yeah or, but it was like you can get it on your desk and there stuff. Are two, yeah. I've never had it on my Me desk either. There were, but there were two sets of footprints right. and then there weren't there was one set of footprints and those were the hard times in life. You know, we always think that God is, you know, he's not carrying us, you know, because that's that's the punchline. If you haven't heard it is, God, where were you during the hard times in life? Well, those are my footprints. I was right. carrying you. We always think that God is like just with us whenever we're going through the easy times or the good times or, you know, when we're rejoicing, when Isaac has Jacob and Esau, when Abraham, you know, has has Isaac, we're like, oh, God is just there like, oh, I'm so happy. No, God is the one who is doing all of those things. Um, the footprints in the sand poem, I'm sorry if I'm making anybody upset about that, uh, but God is carrying us the entire way because if he wasn't carrying us the entire way, if any of it was up to us, we would wreck it in a heartbeat. There's there's sometimes where where there's God's footprints, I think, and then there's a, a line of two footprints I where He's dragging well. us. Yes, yeah, yeah, where He right? drags us, kicking <laughs> and screaming. Thanks be to God. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and yes. certainly, certainly, sometimes He has had to drag Israel along. We're gonna take our break right there. We'll keep looking at this text on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, where you're looking at Joshua 24 with Pastor Dustin Beck this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? 
Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, November 10th. We're studying Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 to 15 with Pastor Dustin Beck. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we're looking at the speech that Joshua gives. This is really the Lord speaking, as you pointed out. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And over, over and over and over again, it is the Lord doing this. I brought, I did this, I did that. Verse 6 is about where we left off. The Lord says, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Keep taking us through the story Joshua. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the story just picks right up where we left off with the fact that God is the one that brought them out of Egypt with his mighty outstretched arm out of the house of Pharaoh, out of the house of bondage and slavery. And so he he brought them out. They came to the sea. Of course, this is the um, this is sort of the Old Testament Easter if you will, right? Uh, it's always the uh, around the, the readings for our Easter services and our lectionary um, uh, that, that God brought them through the sea. They cried out to Yahweh, and uh, he's, he's going to switch a little bit into third person here. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. I mean, this this great day of Israel's uh, redemption, right? This coming through the water, emerging on the other side as a new people, right? Um, and this was uh, this was something that uh, a theme that I picked up uh, a few weeks ago when I was listening to your show, and they were talking about the uh, water standing still uh, on the Jordan and everything. And then what do they do? Is they, as soon as they get to the other side, um, well, they eat. Right, they have they celebrate the Passover, and I was thinking about how wonderful that is, and how there's almost a pattern of you know when Noah goes through the uh, the flood, uh, he had, there's a sacrifice, there's food on the other side, yeah. and then God gifts them uh, animals. We get to eat meat. Yeah. Um, when uh, when Israel goes through the Red Sea to to exit uh, from Egypt, um, almost immediately God starts sending them. Manna, what in the world is this stuff? And quail at night. Um, when you know Joshua and the people go through. So we have this kind of pattern of God washing and feeding his people uh, that I think is really spectacular. Um, but uh, so one of the great joys of, of being able to listen to a program like this, isn't it? Uh, is just the stuff that you, I've never knocked over that stone before yeah. and there's just wonderful stuff all around. Anyways, uh, so he puts the darkness between, uh, he says, your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. I love the, the, the second person uh, uh, pronoun there. Your yeah. eyes saw this. Now, maybe not, you know, your literal eyes. Right. I mean, this would have been your parents, maybe your grandparents. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think this is, this is a similar kind of, um, and again, I think there's a note in the Lutheran Study Bible that talks about this that says, uh, in a collective sense, it's kind of like saying when we put a man on the moon right. in, you know, 1969. I mean, I didn't help, but right. I wasn't alive you back yet, then. Yeah. yeah, but, That's right. you know, this is a good thing. Yeah. Or and we it, we talk about sure. our sports teams the same way. Yeah, you know? we do. When when was the last time we won the Super Bowl? Oh. We shouldn't talk about that. I don't even know if you're watching the Cowboys this year. 
I watched the highlights. After. <laughs> That's right. Because we haven't won in so long. I know. But you and I have never played for the Dallas Cowboys, but we talk about them like that. I could have. You you I probably could have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and it's it's worth pointing out because you, you mentioned this earlier. He does switch to the you, I brought yeah. you out. But then in verse six, I brought your fathers out. Well well, which is it? It's it's both. It's you know? both, yeah. And and in that sense, I mean, this is and this is maybe strange for us, but I think we need to understand it this way. This is our story too. Yes. The Lord brought us out of Egypt. And so uh, when we see, and you lived in the wilderness a long time, I mean, this is your, this is the, the story of your heritage as well, dear Christians. Right. Yeah. And so we shouldn't take away from that. We shouldn't cheapen that and just kind of, uh, you know, I think sometimes when we study scripture, we think of this as, as their story. Yeah. When, you know, the heritage of faith is that this is our story. Just like Rahab was grafted into the family of God and winds up, um, you know, somehow or another in Jesus's genealogy in Matthew's gospel, right? Um, we ourselves, uh, Paul talks about this, you know, that, that we Gentiles have been grafted into the tree, uh, the family tree of, of Abraham, of Jesus. I mean, this is, this is our story. You know, it would be like if you were adopted and then all of a sudden, you know, you were brought into this place where, you know, um, this is what our family, this yeah. is who our family is. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's important. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why listening to stuff like this is just such a blessing is because yeah. it brings you back in and it reminds you who you are. That's right. This is our story. This is our family history right here. So yeah. keep, keep going. We got to keep going. We got in a lot verse more to eight, the land of the Amorites. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, so we're uh, we're still across the Jordan. We haven't come into the Promised Land just yet. Um, they fought, and I gave them into your hand. You took possession of their land. Um, oh, verses uh, nine and ten. You remember verses nine and ten, man? Back in Numbers with Balak and Balaam, those two guys. That's right. Most people remember uh, the donkey more than those two guys. Yeah. So I remember that Balak is the king. Yes. Because he has a K at the end of his name, oh, and Balaam good. is the messenger. He's got an M at the end of his name. He's the that's, prophet. That's clever. Uh, that's, you know, when it's you like teach, when you like teach you high Old school, Testament, Old Testament <laughs> you got to do things like that. But one of the things that I think is so just so strange and wonderful about this passage, um, if you go back into the book of Numbers, is like number 17, something like that. I'm just, I'm shooting in the 20s. 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 It might be in the yeah. 20s, yeah. Um, but the ironic thing that's going on is Balak hires Balaam. He brings him almost com by compulsion, right? Um, brings him uh, to preach against Israel. And so he goes up into a high place and then down on the plains below um, is Israel. And I mean, we remember what, what Balaam winds up doing over and over and over again. He opens his mouth to deliver a word from the Lord. And the word that he delivers is a word that he keeps blessing Israel. But do you remember what Israel's doing while he's, yeah. What were they doing? I know it at, I think it's later when Balaam leads them astray. Well, before that, they're down in the valley and they're engaging in idolatry. Mm. They're, they're in revelry. They're down there just uh, living up their best life. They're having this great time. And here is this guy who was sent on a mission to curse them, which we would honestly kind of say, that's what they deserved. And yet, 
he is not going to curse them for the sake of other gods, but he is going to bless them for the sake of this God who keeps showing up in the first person to do things for his people, to bless them, to send them, to choose them, to take them, all of these things that God does. Um, and, and I think that there's, there's a beautiful irony in that. Okay, so yes, again, um, Israel is delivered. Uh, and then they came over the Jordan. And I think the last time I was on Sharper Iron with you, we talked about the walls of Jericho. Right. They came a-tumbling down. Yeah, oh, they fought. But then Israel prevailed. And then also all of the ites, that's what we call them <laughs> yes, in, in right. high school Old Testament class, the Amorites, <laughs> the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. you got to love this. Um, also, I mean, the Jebusites, those guys are... Those guys are going to stick around for a while. They so are. there's even kind of, uh, we had a professor in seminary that used to talk about the other shoe dropping, and he'd always kick off one loafer. Did you <laughs> experience that? I think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a, we'll talk more after that. The shoe flying. Yeah, as the shoe drops. Um, But the Jebusites, that's a promise still yet to be fulfilled. That's going to be, that's Jerusalem. That's David's city, and he's not around yet. That's right. Yeah. But nevertheless, God can, uh, God is, uh, he himself is outside of time. And so sometimes maybe he's going to give us things that are future promises, even yeah. buried in a historic uh, narrative like this. Yeah. I gave them into your hand, he says. Um, I sent the hornet before you. There's some discrepancies about whether this is a literal hornet or, uh, you know, in terms of a plague, because God, I mean, he loves him some plagues. He's going to yeah. send crickets and all kinds of stuff, you know, and uh, frogs and, you know, you name it. Even a hornet. Even a hornet, maybe. Um, or this could just be in more of a metaphorical sense of understanding that, you know, the um, every time that the uh, that the Canaanites, uh, that their hearts trembled, you know, it, it would be like a swarm of bees coming at them, that they would become terrified and that they would just melt before uh, Israel. So, I mean, they drove them out before you, but effectively it says here, listen, this wasn't by your sword. It wasn't by your bow. You didn't, you know, it's not like you were the mighty warrior that showed up. Um, God fought the battles for you. I mean, this is this is so key to this entire farewell um, um, speech of Joshua um, is to say anything good that was accomplished in my time with you. That was God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it ends then in verse 13 with where they are. I gave you again, the Lord, a land. And, and here again, Israel is being reminded that they didn't do this. So what the Lord is giving them is something that they didn't labor for. Yeah. Their cities they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, olive orchards that they didn't plant. They're getting all of that, and it's coming from the Lord's hand. And this is, I think I've commented on this. I think I commented on this when we closed out Deuteronomy. I, <laughs> you bring me in for the farewell speeches. Right. Yeah, right. I, know, I don't know about that, <laughs> uh, just the way the calendar lines up. But when we talked about the end of Deuteronomy, he said that they were going to go and they were going to dwell in houses that they hadn't built, you know, and, and everything. That's... That's one of the ways that God describes um, the promised land. That's one of the ways that God describes blessings. Um, and then we can, we can remember that God also describes uh, the judgment that comes for faithlessness as other people are going to dwell in the stuff that you did build. Mm. You know, So you're going to build, you're going to expand, you're going to grow, you're going to live in this place. But don't lose sight of who brought you here and who That's gave right. all of this to you. Because if you start to think that you built this, if you start to think that you deserved this, if you start to make gods of yourselves, which is what 
We always do. That's what sin is, is idolatry of the self. God says, you shall not do this. And you say, you know who has a better opinion about that particular thing? This guy sitting in the chair, right? Um, So anytime that you start to go into that direction, other people are going to inhabit your space. They're going to take this stuff and you're going to be carried away into exile. Uh, that's that's the trajectory of the Old Testament, unfortunately. Uh, but I think that brings us to our last couple of verses, does it not? I think so. What, one one thing that strikes sure, me um, about the narrative that Joshua tells there yeah. is is what's missing, although it's in the background, I think. When, yeah. I, when I think of the history of Israel, I, I am recalling, and I think this is in the Psalms, Moses does this, where the recounting involves, here's what God did, and then you rebelled. Yeah. But the you rebelled part is not explicitly mentioned by Joshua. I mean, it's in the background. Not as much of the grumbling or anything like that. Yeah, he just keeps saying, the Lord did this, the Lord did that, and again, all in the first person because it's the Lord talking. But it it just strikes me that 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 part of Israel's rebellion is not explicitly mentioned here. Well, I mean, I... I wonder if that might be, and and I know that there's a there's a broader way of understanding the uh, the concept of law, Torah, instruction, sure. Pentateuch, uh, but because Moses is the one who came to uh, to deliver the law, let's let's call that that's the, that's the wind up, that's the prep, and remember Moses brought them um, with the promise to the cusp of the promised land, but then Joshua is the one that's actually going to deliver. Um, the the promise. Joshua is the one who's going to be the fulfillment of everything that Moses came to do. Well, I say the fulfillment. He is the first fulfillment of that, which points us ultimately to Jesus, who is the the ultimate, the final fulfillment of everything that Moses promised and, and didn't deliver, that Joshua delivered, although... Not fully. They didn't right. completely conquer the, the promised land. There were some slip-ups throughout the book of Joshua. And then, as we said before, when we get into Judges, um, you know, every man will do what is right in his own eyes because there's no king. Right. There is a king. Yahweh is your king. right? And that's why it's so, it, it rings so much more powerful when Jesus says, you know what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yeah. That's that, that hits a little different. That's good news. You know, because we're looking for a king and... We've got one. Yeah. We don't need to be the king. We don't need to raise somebody up. God himself has set his king on his throne. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think in the, in the context of what Joshua is saying then, you you don't, you don't have a king and you have a God. And I yeah. think that's where, you know, the, the only explicit rebellion that's mentioned here is at the very beginning where there's these other gods that Abraham and his family are serving in the foreign land. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what's, perhaps what Joshua is up to is, is that the Lord is going to show his people here's what it means for me to have been your God all along. Yeah. And so I'm going to emphasize everything that I've done for you. And now in the verses that we get to, to look I, at I was at just the end, say in verses 14 and 15, we're going to, he's going to kind of, he's going to bring it he's back. He's going to bring back that, you know, so there are some choices in front okay. of you right now. Let's, let's look at these last two verses. I love it. This is Joshua 24 verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Cue the fanfare. I know, mic drop. Yeah. that's Joshua said that, and he probably goes... That would look really good uh, in a little piece of decorative wall art one day. That's right. 
<laughs> so here, here are the verses that are, are among the most well-known in the book of Joshua, sure. particularly the very end of verse 15. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's Joshua doing? How's he drawing this all together? So he's, he's told them for the last, you know, paragraph or so, he's told them, this is everything that God has done for you. These are the things that you need to bring to memory that you need to recall. This is what God has done. And so in response to what God has done, serve him. That's, that's Joshua's admonition, okay? Uh, in response to, uh, to Yahweh's faithfulness to you, now serve him in sincerity there is in truth, right? Don't be insincere in the way that you serve God. Be sincere, right? Which Be truthful. Um, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. Um, this sort of implies that Maybe they've tracked a little bit of mud in yeah. to the promised land. It seems maybe that they way. brought a little bit with them, um, and we we sort of know this that Israel always has their their idolatrous streak, um, and I would say you know the two of us do as well. Oh sure, yeah, um, that's right. We all have those kinds of things, and I'm not dismissing or, or, or permitting those. Um, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner, right? But yeah. I mean. This idea that in the ancient world, very, very more frequently, your idols were a tangible thing. Sure. Right. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm still appalled at times when there are, you know, the household gods, you know, I think of, you know, David and uh, is it, is it Michael? His wife? Yeah. yeah. His wife, Michael? Yeah. Yeah. Michal? She's, Michal? Yeah. she's yeah. got She shows up gods. and she has these household gods that she brings into the bedchambers and it's like, What? Well, what, what are those doing there? Right, and you've got Rachel who steals some Rachel of Laban's steals, her yes, father's household yes. gods oh, in Genesis. Yeah, going back to Genesis, yeah. yeah. And it's just like this is a, a it, it's a continual thing that just keeps happening over and over again. And it's like, guys, quit doing that. But they had this this way of you know we want a visual representation of something spiritual that's going on, um, which again, uh, one of my one of the things that I've just been fascinated with ever since I taught Old Testament this past year um, is the idea that God forbids making a, an engraved image, right? Because he created mankind to be in his image, right? The uh, Ark of the Covenant has this uh, the cherubim that are covering their face on it, but the mercy seat, the seat of mercy, the place of mercy— um, it's empty. You don't, there's nothing there because God doesn't want his image to be something that you look at here, um, which I mean, so it's supposed to be mankind. When all of creation looks to Adam and Eve, they see God's representative. They see the one, the placeholder who is here doing his will, which to bring it all the way through um, takes us to the word became flesh, the logos of God that representation, the visual thing that uh, we would call it the word, the thing that became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's Jesus. Okay. So uh, that's why, you know, we should absolutely abandon all idolatry for the sake of Jesus. And that's the same thing that Joshua is saying here is be faithful to Yahweh, put away the gods uh, that they served and then serve Yod Yahweh. But he says it this way, you know, look, if it's, if it's evil, if it's wicked, if it's, if for some reason you think that this is bad and wrong to serve Yahweh alone, well, then, you know, here's the choice, okay? Uh, choose this day whom you will serve. He says there's two different ways that you can go if you're not going to be with Yahweh, right? Um, which I, th I think is, is nice because he's, he's charged them, continue 
in this faith. Uh, the faith that begins with, I took your father Abram. I gave uh, Isaac, uh, you know, Jacob and Esau. I did all of this stuff. Continue in that. But if that's not going to work out for you, if that's not good enough for you, there's two choices in front of you. You can serve the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river, right? He's saying, go all the way back pre-Abraham, and you can be, you can throw your lot in with those worthless idols, or you can serve the gods of the Amorites. Though you know you're you're moving to a new place, maybe you want to try out their gods. You've just watched how Yahweh has overthrown them one after the other. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. The the uh, Aites. Do we say Aites? Aites, yeah. That sure. Works. The Aites were overthrown. Thrown. I'm sorry. I was on a run there, and then <laughs> I, I tripped up with Aites. Right. Uh, all of these different nations and peoples, God has driven them out before you, and you did not do this with your sword or bow. So, do you want to choose blessing and life, mm. or curse and death? Yeah. That's. I mean, that's sort of, that, that's the narrative of, isn't that really the narrative of the entirety of Scripture? Yeah. Is that God has brought us into this wonderful place, and God says, continue, abide in my love. Yeah. And if you don't want to, well, then that's sad, right? but that's not God's fault. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the Garden of Eden. Yep, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God puts you in paradise. Uh, God gives you, uh, we were just talking about this a uh, day or so ago in Bible class, that, you know, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, save this one. And this one brings about uh, death and destruction. This one brings about knowledge, but unfortunately it also will kill you. And uh, the image of God was thrown away in that moment, you know, upon mankind. Um, it's, it's the same thing, the, the way that Deuteronomy ends. You know, that, that final sermon that Moses, I mean, that is, oh man, I am setting before you this day, blessing and life, curse and death. Choose life. Right. Ah, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. That's remarkable. And I think that's the, that's the very same thing that uh, oftentimes, you know, uh, pastors experience whenever we're, you know, um, having to do the difficult task of, of communicating with folks who have fallen away from the church, who have left the church behind, or, yeah. or who are in danger, we would say, of, yeah. of uh, shipwrecking their faith. Right. Or, or faithful parents whose, whose yeah, children whose have grown have walked and yeah. walked away from the faith. It's the same sort of mourning that happens when, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and this is the way we raised you, and yet where? Why, where are you going? Why are you going? Why, why would you choose... To serve the Mesopotamian gods or the Egyptian gods or the Amorite gods, why would you choose any of those when you have the Lord who's done all of these things for you? And that's what, I mean, Joshua, over and over again, the Lord did this, the Lord did that. The choice that Joshua indicates there at the end, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, it seems obvious. Yeah. Why would you do anything else? I mean, that's, as they say, that's the $64,000 question. That's the big question is, you know, it's the same question of why do, why did Adam and Eve throw away paradise? Um, And I don't think you can say it's because they didn't understand what they were doing. I think they understood what they were doing just fine. Um, Sin doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. You know, and unbelief doesn't make sense. Um, And so we're not supposed to make sense of it. We're not supposed to try to rationalize it or anything like that. Uh, We're simply to uh, continue to preach the word yeah. because yeah. surprise, surprise, 
it's not up to us understanding it. It's not even up to us winsomely preaching and proclaiming it or making a good rhetorical argument or being able to logically, you know, talk somebody into the faith. The Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel yep. where and when he chooses. Right. And I can't even tell you why he chooses for the Holy, you know, for the, the gospel to be effective on this soil or on that soil. Um, one of my favorite parables of Jesus is the parable of the sower. You know, he's out there sowing seed willy-nilly. That's a technical term. Yes, it is. Yes. And some of the soil is good soil, and we give thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we never fault the sower for not sowing seed um, in bad, you know, in bad places because he sows it everywhere. Yeah. Right. And so the word of God goes out. The word of God goes forth. And um, then the people, uh, you know, uh, we always talk about this, uh, you know, at least in, in confirmation catechesis classes, uh, when we talk about the fact that um, salvation by grace through faith is a free gift, okay? Um, and you do not choose to accept a gift, right? It is yours by virtue of the fact that it has been gifted to you. Now, what you do with that gift, you know, um, you can you can cherish it, you can take care of it. I'm thinking of right now, if I, if I give you a a gift, you know, uh, for your birthday. um, Or if you bring me a breakfast taco. I did bring you a breakfast taco this morning. And I I ate it. You did. But so stay with me for one second. We're running short on time. (laughs) If I gave you a gift, let's say your birthday, right? Um, And it has holes in it, you know, in the box, you would assume something about that gift, right? That I'm not trying to make it more aerodynamic, but that it needs oxygen to survive. Um, if you said, thanks so much, and then you just set it over on the couch in your office um, and forgot about it, um, something very unfortunate would happen to that uh, little furry gift that was in the box. Let the listener understand. That's right. So you take care of the gift. You nourish the gift. You cherish the gift, right? You can absolutely choose to... To say, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. To say, no thanks. I think that's what we have here in this text before us, um, is the idea that God does the saving. Uh, but then, you know, uh, if people want to go their own way, he's not going to force them. Yeah. Well, and, and perhaps we can, to, to bring it into the gospel in its fullness, yeah. not just the question of why would you reject this, but but the question, why would God even offer it to anyone? Because yeah. as, as we said, we started with idolaters, and we know the backstory of Israel all along in this history, even though Joshua doesn't say it. We're dealing with a bunch of, of rebels who get it at times, but over and over again, reject the Lord and his gifts. Why, why does God even continue to give this option? That's his grace. That's, that's who his he is. mercy. That's what that's he does. That's his love for yeah, sinners. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing is like, why does, he, why does he choose Abram? Well, I don't know. But when he makes the promise to Abram, the important thing about Abram is that Abraham believes God, and then God reckons him righteous. A little Texan translation there. But God accounts it to him as righteousness that he received, that he believed. And yes, dear Christian, uh, that faith was given him by the Holy Spirit. And it's given to you as well and to me. Uh, It's, what a great gift it is uh, to rejoice um, in the working of the Spirit in us um, and to never lose heart, to never, uh, you know, go off our own direction and see how that works out for us, but instead to just live in the love of Jesus. God be praised. God be praised. Pastor Dustin Beck is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. 
helping us today with Joshua 24, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. Yes, sir. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.